Good morning. We are glad you're here today. We hope you've had a great weekend so far. Glad we can start a new week together with God's people worshiping Him. And we're glad you're here at Great Oaks. We have a lot of visitors today. Thank you for being here. We hope we get to meet you before you leave. So whatever unfamiliar faces any of us see around each other, we hope we can say hi before we go. The fact that we're here uh, tells me we're all trying to, trying to draw closer to God. And that's why we're here this morning. So we're really glad you're here. If you are visiting, we always like our visitors to know who we're trying to be here at Great Oaks. We are trying to simply be Christians. We put Church of Christ on the sign because we are trying to simply be followers of Jesus Christ, undenominational followers of Jesus. We do our best, however imperfectly, to just open the Bible and try to do what it says. And we'd love for you to join us in that. And so if you have any questions about Christianity, any questions about Great Oaks, uh, please let us know. We're glad you're here visiting with us today. A few things we're excited about today before we jump into our lesson. First of all, Miss Sonia Glazer. Could you stand up for just a second? Miss Sonia's sitting back here. This is Miss Sonia Glazer. Sorry, I don't have a picture up here, but she's sitting back here in the back left. Miss Sonia met with our elders a couple weeks ago to let them know she'd like to be part of the Great Oaks family and serve God here. And we're really glad she did. Let me share a few things about Sonia that you may have seen in our bulletin this last week. She grew up in the Nashville area, worshiping with the West Heights Church of Christ and was baptized into Christ at a summer gospel meeting. If you've been part of Churches of Christ for a long time, you might know the name Marshall Keeble, one of the, the better-known preachers of the past generation. Well, Marshall Keeble was preaching at this summer meeting, and Sonia was hearing the words of the gospel and decided, I need to become a Christian. And so she made that decision, and she's been a follower of Jesus ever since. She graduated from UT Martin. She is a retired teacher who taught geography and reading, and she's now lived in Memphis for six years. She has three grown children, seven grandchildren, uh, seven of those grandchildren, or sorry, six of the seven grandchildren are girls, and for hobbies, she enjoys reading, writing, and continued education. Uh, Miss Sonia is a sweet lady, um, and we're really glad she's here. Glad you're here, Miss Sonia. If you haven't got to meet her, please meet her and welcome her to the family. We're also trying to, here in August, trying to highlight some of the opportunities we have coming up here at Great Oaks. There, there's some great faith opportunities that are coming up this fall and even in the next couple months. So last week we told you about our Bible study small groups. We'd love for you to sign up for those, men's and women's groups. We have sign-up cards in the lobby now out there by Derek's office just to the side. You can also sign up if you use the QR code in our bulletin or announcements, you'll see some of that where we can sign up. We'd love for you to be part of those. Helps us connect together in a very simple, meaningful way. I'd like for a couple minutes to highlight our Bible classes. That is another great way. We're blessed with a lot of new faces. That is another great way to get in smaller groups and get to know people as you gather around and study the Bible. Uh, we're blessed with Bible class teachers. In fact, today we're having a teacher appreciation lunch. We did not get that out as much as we wanted to. It's been in the bulletin for a long time. My understanding is a lot of you don't read the bulletin, so we're praying for you about that. But, it, but we are trying to, we, we, if you are a past teacher and your family, or a present Bible class teacher and your family, or if you're about to start uh, teaching Bible classes here at Great Oaks, you're invited to stay for lunch. Uh, people have put together a meal just to say thank you to you for all the effort. as a big part of our church family. And the way we do Bible classes here at Great Oaks, if you're new, we do them in three-month segments. We call them quarters. And so the fall quarter begins in September, just a few weeks from today. A couple big things about that. We are going to have another Go class. We had one of these in the spring. This is for new members of our church family at Great Oaks. This is for visitors at Great Oaks. This is a great way to figure out how things work. Uh, Derek Williams and Gary Reeves have held, 
us put this together. Uh, it's a great way. We'll have deacons and elders come in and describe some of the ministries that are going on here, how you can get involved, how you can serve. We'll talk about the church. We'll talk about Great Oaks in particular. Uh, just a great way to get connected. So if you're interested or have questions about that, let us know. That will start in September. And if you're new especially, we'd love for you to be part of that. Uh, also, we are having something new this year. So the first Sunday of the fall quarter is Labor Day weekend. We know that's a weekend a lot of people scatter out and travel. Uh, whether you are or not, we'll be worshiping here and have Bible classes at always, as always. But the next week, so that first Sunday in September that is not Labor Day weekend, September 10th, we're going to challenge ourselves. We would love to have... 500 people in our Bible classes that morning. We've had over 400 a few times, even this year. Uh, the most we've ever had here at Great Oaks is 445. If you've been here a while, uh, that was in 2015. We were having our 12 questions door knocking. We had about 125 people from the Mount Juliet Church of Christ in Nashville that were here with us that day. We've never had more than 445, so we'd love to at least set a new record and maybe even have 500. And so to encourage that, we're even going to have breakfast, if you see that on the screen. So 8 o'clock, if you want to come... Breakfast, you're not required to come to breakfast, so that's too early for you or whatever. But 8 o'clock, we're going to have breakfast in the gym. If you want to come early and grab some breakfast, and then Bible classes will start at 9. We think that's going to be a great day. You can see what they put here on this. Breakfast and Bible class with 500 of your favorite people. So I hope you feel that way. Should be a fun day. Uh, that is, let me do the math, four weeks from today. So four weeks from today. Uh, we hope you can be part of our Bible classes every Sunday but we'd love for you to come especially four weeks from today. So a lot of exciting things going on. We hope you can get involved. We hope these are faith-building opportunities. That's why we highlight them. These are faith-building opportunities. Um, let us know if you have any questions. Let's have a prayer, and then we'll jump into our lesson for the day. God, thank you so much for your church. You have died for your church. You've led your church. You've given us the words to guide and, and develop and follow for your church. And God, I pray that we are truly following you in our hearts and with our lives. God, I'm thankful for every soul here. I'm thankful that we all decided this morning to come together with your people to worship you. I pray our hearts have already been with you in worship, and I pray that our lesson will be the same way. God, we're thankful for Miss Sonia. We're thankful for the way you guided her life. We're thankful that she's here. We pray, God, that we can be an encouragement to her as we know she'll be to us. Please help us to serve alongside each other for many years to come. God, we're thankful for our Bible class teachers. We're thankful for our Bible classes and all the great things that happen in those smaller groups of studying your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless us in all the things we're trying to do with that. Help them to build our faith. God, as we study your word today, I pray that what is said will be what you want to be said and that we'll grow from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are starting a three-week series this morning that we're calling Reason to Believe. And you can see the subheading there. This morning's will be in God. So what, here's what I have in mind for this three-week series. So our, our young people are getting back into school. They are, as my elementary class teachers would say, putting on their thinking caps again. I'd like us to join them for a few Sunday mornings and putting on our thinking caps and just thinking through why we believe what we believe. If you've heard of Christian evidences... Christian evidences is exactly what it sounds like. It is evidence for the Christian faith. And I think what you'll find, if you haven't studied this, uh, Christians are not Christians just blindly or for no reason. Um, we are, people are Christians because we've thought about it. And Christianity has always been a thinking faith. 
It has always been a faith where people think through evidence and make decisions. As Paul goes around in the book of Acts, he is giving people evidence. Here's what the Bible said. Here were the prophecies about Jesus, and here's how he fulfilled them. Uh, He goes around to places who weren't Jewish, and he said, You've always believed in God, the God who has always been there. Let me tell you who he is and why you should believe in him. It's always been a thinking faith. Sometimes this field is called apologetics. And to us, that sounds like an apology, but the Greek word behind apologetics means defense. So the apologetics field is a defense of the Christian faith. This is why we believe what we believe. And that can go in all sorts of directions. But there are three classic areas of apologetics or Christian evidences. And those are the ones I'd like us to talk about for these three weeks here in August. Why Christians believe in God, why Christians believe in the Bible, why Christians believe in Jesus. And what I hope is that this will be a faith-building series. If you have further questions about whatever we're going to talk about, please let me know. Let one of us know. We'd be glad to talk. We'd be glad to walk through things. We can give you some sources to read through for yourself and make your own decision. My guess is maybe almost every Sunday we come together, there are people thinking and asking and wondering about Christianity. Uh, We want you to keep thinking. That's the right process. I think you'll find there's good reasons to believe. Some of the sources, by the way, that some of the best ones in this area are people who were atheists at one time, but who set out to say, I'm going to disprove the Christian faith. And as they got into it, you know what they found? They found there's a lot of good reasons to believe in this. And suddenly they were finding themselves becoming Christians. And so there are lots of good things on these areas. What I hope to do is give a hopefully a good overview of some thoughts that I hope will be faith-building. So let's start today with... Reason to believe in God. Let's start with this. The last number I saw from Pew Research Center was that 84% of people in the world believe in God of some sort. Believe that there is a God who created us in some way. Now again, that 84% is not the God of the Bible. Um, Christianity is the largest religion in the world, but that that 84% is not all the God of the Bible. But 84% of people believe there is a God of some sort. I want to start by asking why. Well, as Christians, we believe there's at least a couple reasons for that. Number one, because we, we believe that's true. <laughs> we believe that God really did create us and really did put this world in motion and that He spoke to humanity as He did it. And so we believe that's the reason that there's every culture that's ever been so far has had some sort of faith behind it. We think there's a reason for that because that's the message that was handed down from humanity, from one generation to the next. There's never been this, the, the ancient atheist culture or the ancient secularist culture. We're trying to create some today in today's world, but that, that's never existed. And the reason we think it wasn't that way is because that's what really happened. And it was handed down that God created us. As Genesis 1-1 says it, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Handed down in Scripture, handed down through God's prophets, handed down through Jesus Christ. God has spoken that to humanity. We also believe it is the reason so many people believe in God is because God created a world that points to Him. In other words, not only would there be the message handed down that God created us, God also wanted us to be able to look around our world and see that there are some clues here. There are some good reasons to realize we didn't put this together by ourselves and this thing didn't make itself. That there is something bigger behind it. Um, Some verses that point us in that direction 
in the Bible. Write down Psalm 19, 1 through 3 if you're keeping the outline with us. Psalm 19, 1 through 3 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. That verse is saying, if you just look up at the heavens, you just look up at the, the stars, there, there are a few things, and I can say that from personal experience, I feel like there are a few things that, that help build faith that there's something bigger than us, than just looking up at the night sky and just looking at a sunset or a sunrise, realizing there are much bigger things that are going on here. And maybe God wanted us to see just that, just how small we are in the bigger picture of what creation is. This verse says, the heavens tell the glory of God. Verse 2 says, day to day pours forth speech, just as the sun and moon keep going. It's speaking to us. Night to night reveals knowledge. But look at verse 3. There's no actual speech. There's no actual words. Their voice is not heard. So they're not speaking, but they're speaking, is what that verse says. The sun and moon and stars, they're not actually talking, but they are talking. They are saying, there is something bigger than this. And in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. This is what Ian read just a second ago. This is Paul the Apostle writing, and this whole first chapter of Romans, he's explaining from this section on down that we should know there's a God and that we're all accountable to Him. Like He's given enough evidence for us to be seeking Him. We should be seeking God. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Now, when you read that word wrath, don't think in terms of like earthly human wrath, like unhinged anger. That's not what the Bible means by this. In, in, in what the Bible is discussing wrath, you'd almost use the word justice. And so that might be a better idea for us. For the wrath of God, the justice of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Notice that phrase in verse 18. When we are living in a way that is unrighteous. You see that word right in the word righteous. We're living in ways that are not right. He says it's because we are suppressing the truth. We know what's real. We know there's a God. We know there's a right way to do it. And we're just choosing not to do it. We're suppressing the truth. Well, how do you know that, Paul? He says, verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. One of the books that I used in preparation for this lesson is called The Reason for God. And he gives some of the things we'll look at here in just a second. Good reasons to believe just from looking around the world that there's a God behind it all. And then he has a chapter where he says, now I want to do something very personal. He says, if you're reading this book and you say you don't believe in God and, and you're just you're reading through this stuff, he says, I want to do something very personal. He says, you know there's a God. You know in your heart and you know in your mind that you're just trying to push that away. You know, I don't know if that's the best way to approach it, but I think that verse supports that type of idea. He says you're trying to suppress it. You're trying to hope it's not there. You've got some motive, something in your life has pushed you in that direction to make you want to say it's not there. He says, but God has made it evident. His world has made it evident. And then verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. That verse says we can see God's invisible attributes, His power, we can see His power in what has been made, so that we don't have an excuse. 
We should see there's a God that made all this. We should be seeking that God. And then verse 21, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. We chose not to follow God, and it darkened our heart. That's what he says about sin. So why, why does why does somebody in the world believe there's a God? Well, we think that's that's what's true, and we think the world shows us there is a God. So let's spend the rest of our time then, just tossing that idea around. What what are some of the things people say about our world that should make us see there's a God? In addition to the fact that this has always been handed down from the very beginning, I, I think that's part of the evidence. But in addition to the fact that this has always been handed down, uh, what what should we what should we see? And these are some of my sources. If you're interested in, in reading these for yourselves uh, or want to know more about that, let me know later. And again, I'm happy to share, share any of these things with you. Number one, you can see I got four things here. Number one, our dependent universe. We live in a universe that is dependent. In other words, everything comes from something. Nothing just creates itself. Nothing comes from nothing. Uh, one of those books that I put up there just a second ago said, if you believe that something comes from nothing, then I would like to sell you some nothing. <laughs> and I guess, I guess that would make sense if that's what you believe. But that's not what happens. The world does, nothing comes from nothing. If you have nothing to start with, you get nothing from it. And so you, you always ask the question, okay, where'd that come from? Where'd that come from? Where'd that come from? And you eventually get to something had to start this, and it had to be something that's outside of that dependent system, something big enough and strong enough to, to, to make this powerful. Here's what people will say, and I think they're right. There are three options for our universe. Either it was created, or it created itself, or it's just always been here and it's eternal. Now, I don't know anyone who believes it's eternal, and part of that is because the universe appears to be expanding. And so most people just mark that one off to begin with. It looks like it had a beginning and it's expanding. That's not what's going on. What about uh, the top one's what we believe, what I believe. I'll speak for myself here. What I, it was created. God created it. What about that second one? It created itself. Well, the best guess we've been able to put together from like a scientific as best we can put itself together is the theory of evolution. And here's what evolution says happened there. That at one point there was absolutely nothing and that nothing turned into non-living chemicals and that non-living chemicals turned into single-celled life and the single-celled life then developed and evolved into multiple organisms. Now, I don't, now, if you just mean that evolution means that things change through time, sure, I think, I think everybody believes that things change through time. But if you're trying to say evolution as a creative process, like this made the world, you have some real scientific problems. In fact, everyone, and this is just a, this is as basic as it gets in my mind, each one of those three steps that I have up there, each one of them are contradicted by science itself. Nothing doesn't turn into non-living chemicals, according to science. The law of cause and effect, also the first law of thermodynamics, that matter is not created or destroyed, says that you can't go from nothing to something. It, that's, our own science says that that doesn't happen. The, do non-living chemicals go to single-celled life? The law of biogenesis says that non-life cannot produce living things. People used to believe that. They used to believe like you put a rag in the corner of the barn, it becomes mice. Or you put meat off on the side and it, it produces flies. People, people realize that's not what's happening. That what people did scientific experiments just to make that very clear. Non-living things don't become living things. Well, do single-celled things evolve into 
multi-celled giant organisms like humanity. Again, the law of biogenesis says organisms only produce the same thing. Dogs produce dogs, cats produce cats, giraffes produce giraffes. You don't, you don't, find, you don't find this crossover that, uh, that even Charles Darwin himself said when he put together the theory of evolution. He said, the big weakness in my theory is the fossil record doesn't show this. And he said, so we're going to have to find a lot of fossils that show these in-between species. Well, the fossil record doesn't show it. In fact, there's something, if you want to study that more, I can give you some books on that, called the Cambrian Explosion in the Fossil Record, which just shows all the types of animals. They're just there. They're just there. There's not this process that evolution would have us believe. So at its basic, most basic, the three steps of evolution are contradicted by science itself. And I realize they're just trying to do their best to say, okay, look, if, if it was done scientifically, how would it be done? I realize that, but... When you really dig down to it, what they have to say is, well, things must have been different at the beginning, and they, and they changed, because that's all you can say. I believe it makes a lot more sense, that very thing that was handed down, this was created. This was put together. The dependent nature, everything comes from something. There had to be something outside it and bigger to put that together, and that's exactly what humanity has always passed down that God created us. Number two, we have a fine-tuned universe. Not only is it a dependent universe, it is a fine-tuned universe. And I've always, you probably heard as well, maybe thought about it as well, like there's a lot of things that had to be perfect on earth for us to live. There's a lot of things that had to have to fit together just right, for even from things like the, the earth's axis tilt uh, to, to give the seasons we have, the, the carbon dioxide oxygen cycle that our kids are going to be learning about in science classes this year. Wow, what, a, what, a, what an amazing thing that really had to just fit together perfectly. The, the fact that there's water everywhere and we need it. The fact that there's an atmosphere that holds all this together. The, the fact that the sun does what it There's a lot of things that had to be really perfect. Well, it turns out, if you're a scientist, and I'm not, if you're a scientist, that it goes even deeper than those things. There's a guy named Francis Collins. He, he professes Christianity. He's a believer in Jesus. Uh, he wrote a book. Let me fast forward to the book here real quick. Called The Language of God. A Scientist Presents, presents Evidence for Belief. And here's what he says about our fine-tuned universe. Going even deeper than some of the things I've mentioned. He says, when you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants the gravitational constant, various constants about the strong and weak nuclear force, etc., that have precise values. If any one of those constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases by one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to come together. There would have been no galaxies, stars, planets, or people. In other words, it is so fine-tuned that even when you get down to things like the strong and weak nuclear force, which I have very little concept about, he says even those had to be exactly correct. And if they weren't, there's just nothing. There's no matter. So this thing has been fine-tuned to perfection. Now, the only answer people give in response to that is people will say, because they realize the odds are very small that this could just come together. And so they say, well, maybe, maybe there are there are trillions of universes, and this is just the one universe that happened to have the right gravitational constants and strong and weak nuclear forces. Um, 
there is no evidence that there is any other universe. We're not talking about galaxies. There, there's one universe. There are galaxies in the universe, but there's only one. And I, I know if you've watched Spider-Man or whatever else, there's the multiverse idea out there. That, that is not a real thing, in case uh, comic books have, have led you to believe that. But there is, there is one universe, and it came together, and the odds are really small. If you're playing cards with somebody, as one of the books uses the example, if you're playing cards with somebody and the cards are dealt, and they get four aces, and they win, you'd say, wow, what are the odds of that? And then you run, do another round of cards, and they get four aces, wow, that's unbelievable. I guess it's possible, theoretically possible. And then you do it again, and they get four aces again. What are you thinking? All right, th- this, is, this is not odds. I'm being cheated here. And if that happened 20 times in a row, and he said, well, you know, that's theoretically possible that, that, that it could just happen. That, well, I think at some point you say, uh, the odds are so small that this just came together. The fine-tuning sure seems like it's been done by someone bigger. Um, what are the odds for that? I don't know how to put mathematical odds on it, but the odds of everything being tuned the way it is extremely small. Number three, just the chances of life, not, not only the universe and matter coming together, but the chances of life coming together. Life is infinitely complex And the smaller we get, we realize it's even more complex than we thought. It took us, if I remember right, 13 years, hundreds of labs, millions of dollars with all our scientific stuff to be able to put the the DNA uh, strand together, the double helix, and realize what's on the DNA. Um, And that's, that's the basic building block stuff. It is infinitely complex, so complex. And then it just, it grows from there. Uh, the fact that the idea that this could just come together by itself doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. We had a guy teach a Christian evidences class years ago. Some of you have been here. Remember Scott Rathcamp? Uh, Scott Rathcamp was someone who, who didn't believe in God and, and came to study and came to believe, be a Christian and had a lot of thoughts about science and how it fits together with the Bible. And he said what, what evolution teaches is basically that you could send a tornado through a junkyard over and over, and it's eventually going to build a giant plane, is what he said. Now, no matter, you have to back up and say, where do you even get the junkyard? But he was saying, even if you allow the junkyard, he's saying just random chance comes through and it builds complexity. But he said, that's the problem, is chaos doesn't build complexity. Chance doesn't build complexity. If one tornado came through and we happened to get a steering wheel together, guess what the next tornado is going to do? It's going to take apart the steering wheel. It's not going to add a pilot seat to it and then add wings to the plane and add an engine. That's not the way chance and chaos works. And for life to come together from the smallest to the biggest, the chances that it just slowly built doesn't make sense. In fact, you don't even have slow building time. In human beings, for example, you're telling me that the, the eyeball just sort of came together with all its complexity? The, the brain, the nervous system just sort of came together? And, and male and female came together at the same time with reproductive systems to continue? It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And again, you could say it's a probability deal. Um, life is so complex, no matter how much time you give it, uh, chaos does not produce complexity. It takes a designer to produce complexity. It takes a builder to produce complexity, and we believe that's what God has done. And then number four, there are things about human nature that make much more sense if there is a God. Genesis 1.27 says we were created in the image of God, so let me give a few of these very quickly. Number one, we have an internal sense 
of morality. Why do we believe some things are wrong and some things are right? Why does everyone believe it is wrong to torture someone for no reason? Uh, why does everyone believe the Nazis were wrong for killing the Jews? In fact, when the Nazis were tried in the Nuremberg trial, what they often defended was, hey, we just did what we were told to do. They told us to kill people, so we killed people. And what the Nuremberg trial people said in their judgment, they said, no, there was a higher law that you should have known, that you should have known you don't do this to people, even if you're told to do it. That higher law they're appealing to, where does that come from? If it's survival of the fittest, that should have been gone a whole lot, a long time ago. And the animal kingdom doesn't care about morality. The lions aren't thinking about morality as they're, as they're finding food. And yet we have this sense of morality. But if there is a God, a, a good God, a God of justice, a God of love, then that makes more sense that we have this sense of morality inside of us. In fact, people argue, and I think they're right, if you have any sense of human rights and believe in human rights, um, but don't have the concept of God alongside it, that's going to run out eventually. And, and people are sort of worried about the direction of Western cultures because we're trying to hold to human rights, but we're also trying to push God out. Those go in very different directions with no God and trying to affirm the value of human life. The, the fact that we have morality fits better with the God of the Bible. We have individual consciousness. We can think about life. We can think about ourselves. We can think about other places. We can think about memories and future and make plans. Where does that come from? Well, if, if the creative thing behind the universe is a God, a spirit, who has a mind, well, that makes more sense for, for him to create things that also have this consciousness inside of us. Number three, our ability to make moral choices. Moral choices, not just choices, not just where do I go, but moral choices. Again, if there's a God behind creating us who, who wants us to choose right over wrong, well, then that makes sense. If that's the whole point of the world, to choose God, it makes sense that we have these moral choice abilities inside ourselves. And then we also we have this desire for greater meaning and greater fulfillment. Why is that? Why do we care more about than just the food in front of us? Why, why, why do we think about what life is all about and what we want to accomplish in life and what we want to be? Uh, it could just be random, I suppose. Or it could also be that we were created for something bigger. We were created by something bigger. As Ecclesiastes 3.11 puts it, He has put eternity in our hearts. Maybe God has put inside of us, we, we should be looking for something bigger because we were created for it. So just the very nature of humanity and some of the things in us make a lot more sense if we were created by the God that is described in the Bible. I'm sure there is a lot I have said um, that, or let me put it this way, I'm sure there's a lot I haven't said this morning that you may have further questions on, that you may have further thoughts on. Let me know. Let me know. And if you're thinking through this for yourself, we're glad you're doing that. There are many others in this room who have gone down that same process, and we'd love to talk with you about it. And so if you have further questions, let us know. I believe with all my heart that there's a God. And I believe He created us. And I believe He created us for reasons that are bigger than just this world, that we're making choices about bigger things. So let's end with this this morning. We are not here by accident. Your life is not an accident. You're not here just randomly. You're not here because the tornado went through the junkyard and created you. God puts you here 
God created you. And He created you with a reason, with a purpose. We were created for relationship with Him. We have a soul. We make choices, moral choices. We have a sense of right and wrong. We have a sense that there's something bigger than this life. Don't ignore that. Don't let the world fool you into thinking that's not a thing. You feel that for a reason. And the reason is because that's why you were made. That's why I was created. That's why we're all were created, for something bigger. Do not ignore that. In fact, let's make sure we focus on it. Let's make sure we focus on our relationship with God, the God who created us, the God who made us. Um, I believe there's good evidence for God as our creator. If you have further questions, let us know. But let's give our lives to seek and to follow the true God. This morning, if you're not a Christian, we'd love to see you make that decision. If you have questions about Christianity, you can talk to us afterwards. If you have anything you'd like to pray about privately, you can talk with us afterwards. But we also, we always like to offer an invitation. This is an opportunity for anybody to come to the front, to let the whole church know that you'd like to take a step of faith. And sometimes people feel like that's the right step for them. So maybe today you're ready to take a step of faith. If you hear about, if you have heard about Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, Maybe you're ready today to repent of your sins, to confess your faith, to have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism. We'd love to see you baptized into Christ. Or if we can pray for you about anything going on in your life, we'd love to do that as well. If we can help you in any way this morning, you're invited to come to the front now while we stand, while we sing.